Father, we just pray now as we return to your word. We ask that, God, you would minister to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm sure every single person in this room tonight knows this chapter, knows those stories off by heart. For some, they've probably known them since they were children. And they could tell the story, tell, tell the stories easily. We all know the parables that Jesus told, especially these ones. Now, this passage is probably one of the most famous passages of scriptures, especially in the, in the gospel. This and uh, um, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, they're very well known. Especially great to tell young children. But one thing I want to point out is that this is not three parables. There is only one parable here. If you look at verse 3, it says, And he spake this parable unto them. It doesn't say, And he spoke these parables unto them. There is only one parable but it is three sections to it. He uses three points to get his message across. And as I was looking at this quite a while ago now, I began to notice something that, although it's obvious that there is a massive connection, but each parable is connected, all of them are connected together quite clearly. Well, I say clearly, most people don't see it, unfortunately. But it became quite clear. But sadly, we, we, we still don't really grasp this passage. We know it, we can tell it, and we love it. But do we understand it? Do we really understand it? The first thing we need to, under, we, we need to understand about this passage is why Jesus was sharing it. Verses 1 and 2, it says, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. He has got his crowd. There are two groups of people. Those that are wretched, sinful people and those that are the religious, pious group of people. But the, the message really, although for both groups, is aimed at the latter, the religious the religious leaders. This is why Jesus is telling them. He knows exactly what they're thinking. And he's responding to that message. It was right, responding to what they're murmuring about. This man received sinners and eateth with them. Now notice Luke calls the crowd publicans and sinners, or tax collectors and sinners, as some translations say. And you could almost, why is he segregating them? Surely they're all sinful people. Yep, that's true. But, but he wants us to realise that this is what the religious leaders have done. They are the ones that have called them this. We know in Romans it says all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us, none of us are righteous as well. But of course, the Pharisees and the scribes, 
they thought that they were righteous. They thought that they were better than everybody else. So Luke wants us to understand that this is the reason. This is what they say. So this is the why they he's put these words so that we understand there are two sections. If we'd have said all the sinful people, we wouldn't have understood where the Pharisees were coming from. But now we can get it. Now we can understand why they're separating them. And so Jesus tells them, in response, this parable. Verses 4 to 7 tells us of a shepherd that had 100 sheep and one wanders off. You know, we know that it's just like most of us like this. We can be just like these, this one sheep. You think that the grass is greener on the other side. Oh, it looks great over there. It's wonderful over there. I want to be a part of that grass over there. In today's society, they're look, maybe not looking out the window, but they're looking on the internet. They're looking at photographs and they can see glorious things. I want to be a part of that. I don't want what I've got here. But you know, the shepherd, he knows best. He knows that out there, there were dangers. He knows out there, there were animals that would could tear the, the wolf apart. And not just animals, but thieves that would take the sheep and use it for food. But of course... The sheep doesn't care. It doesn't care about the dangers. But it does care about that grass over there as it wanders off going towards it. And we notice how people think that they know best. I know what's right. Don't tell me I'm in the wrong. I know even as Christians sometimes we can be exactly the same. I know best. I know what's right. Don't tell me what's wrong. But Jesus tells the story of a father who had two sons. He provided for them. He fed them. He clothed them. He had made sure that his boys were protected again from the dangers of this world. The father is just again like that shepherd. He knows that to be safe is within the walls of his home. Yet the younger son asked for the share of his property in verse 12. He wants to be free. He's looked out the window and again he has seen the lush green pastures. I want to be a part of that. I want to be over there. And like the sheep, when he's given his share of his property, he leaves and wanders off for pastures green. You know, sin is always good fun. It's always great. It looks great. It tastes great. It even feels great. If it wasn't, then it wouldn't be appealing to us. We don't want to know the consequence of sin. 
but we like the look of it. We like the feel of it. We even like the taste of it. The problem with sin, there is a, there is a consequence. If they eat of it, said God, in the Garden of Eden, he says they would surely die. Not just a physical death, but a separation from God, which is even more important, more deadly than those than the, the physical death. It might look good. It might look pleasing to the eye and it might taste wonderful. But of course, it has a serious consequence. You know, the only way for sin not to harm anybody is if they don't touch it in the first place. But unfortunately, that's not going to be the case. Many years ago, I was, uh, I was given the opportunity to speak to some teenagers in a school in Romania. I tell you, it was a wonderful opportunity because I was given this opportunity that te- the, the, the English teacher was in, was translating for me. She was a, a, a Romanian Orthodox, clearly not um, a Christian, but she was translating for me and I'm talking and I'm sharing the gospel with these kids. Absolutely wonderful opportunity. But I asked them, how then can, you know, how can we get to heaven if, 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 if our sin takes us away from God? And one kid said to me, not to sin. It's his right answer. It's a great answer. Only problem is we've all sinned. Therefore, that doesn't work. But if we didn't sin, yeah, we'd all go to heaven. But unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. Because even if we only sinned once, it would be too much. And the moment we read in, in, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, that they ate that fruit... That looked pleasing to the eye. That was guaranteed to be delicious. I bet they devoured it. I bet the juices were dripping down their chins. But the moment they ate that fruit, their eyes were opened and they realised what they had done. Have you noticed that's always the case when we sin? It always looks good before we do it. It always looks great. But the moment we do it, the moment the guilt hits. You never feel guilty before, do you? If you did, you wouldn't touch it. But you think, you know what? I'll manage today. It'll be all right. It'll be fine. Nobody will know. But unfortunately, the moment you take it, the moment you do it, the guilt hits. And in Romans three six twenty three, it says, "For the wages of sin is death." As God had promised, they would die. Death would come, and they were separated from God completely. They were separated. But in Luke 15, this young boy's having a great time. He's got loads of money. He's having a fantastic time. But then we read, he had to hire himself out because there was a famine. Life eventually, you know, sin will eventually come 
time to pay up. Because we think it's like a credit card, but actually the credit cards, although you might want to buy loads with it, eventually they'll say you need to pay. And the problem is, the more you pay, the less you have, the less you're able to pay. And with sin, you can't afford it. You cannot afford it. It is impossible to pay it back. You got a job. That sounds like a reasonable thing. You got a job. But he was working with pigs. Now, for us British people, this doesn't really affect us. But this was told to a group of people in Israel, to a group of Jewish people. And the pig is a filthy, a dirty animal to them. An unclean animal. This was a shock to them. Not just for the religious leaders, even for those publicans and the other sinners would have been horrified to hear that this boy was now working with pigs. This was an absolute no-no. You do not even go there. You have no part of this. But he is desperate. He is desperate. We notice that when we sin, and we know that we sin, do you know what we don't want to try and get out of it? Do you know what we do? We try and we sin more to get out of the situation. We sin more to, to get rid of the guilt. And so he's, he's, not only now has he walked away from his father, not only has he squandered his wealth, not only is he starving, but he's now literally living with pigs. As I said, to us, it doesn't affect us because we don't see them as unclean animals. But to the Jew, it was been horrendous. A shock. Maybe this is an, is an image for us that we'd go, okay, what about prostitution? What about male prostitution? Even more disgusting. Drugs, drink. Or maybe it's something else. Maybe they've just got themselves into more debt, more loans, or whatever it could be. They're getting further and further and further and further away. Worse than they were before. And then, in verse 16, he said, And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. It was that bad, he was even tempted to eat what the pigs were eating. Now we probably feel disgusted. Because even we'd know we wouldn't eat what they're eating. They might say, oh, actually, they're clean animals. But trust me, if I was to give you some pig swell, you wouldn't want to touch it. He was that low. He was literally in the gutter. Sometimes, though, it's when we're in the gutter that's when some people come to their senses. Not all the time, but sometimes. And it was at this point in this story that this this boy comes to his senses. He says, and when he came to himself, he said, how many 
hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare. And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against thee and am no no longer worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. He at last had, had come to his senses. He is going home. But there is a, still a problem. He still doesn't understand his father. His father who had loved him. His father who had protected him. His father that had cared for him. And made sure that he had everything he needed. And he says... Make me as one of your hired servants. He wants to be one of those men that goes out every day hoping and praying that he gets a job that day. Oh, we need five people to work in the field. We'll give you a a few coins. That's what he wants to be. Not even a servant in the house but a hired servant, one that maybe gets a job now and again. He doesn't even realise how much his father loves him, how much his father would do for him. He has absolutely no understanding. This boy is completely lost and his understanding of his father proves it. But nevertheless, in verse 20 it says, he arose and came to his father. At last, at least he's going back. At least he's going back. And then it says, but when he was a a great way off, his father saw him. Now in the story, going back to the story of the lost sheep, the shepherd leaves the 99 sheep and goes in search of the one that is lost. He goes looking for that one sheep. And here, we read that, that while this boy was a long way from home, the father sees his son. We can get an image, can't we? That the father's at home feeling sorry for himself, weeping. Oh dear, where's my boy? And every now and again looking out the window to see if they can can see him. Actually, that is not what has happened. While he is a long way from home, his father sees him. Now this was 2,000 years ago, so he didn't have a telescope or a pair of binoculars. He was out and about looking for his boy. The shepherd was looking for his sheep. He wasn't expecting the sheep to come home. I'm going to look for him. And Jesus was look. Sorry, Jesus is telling that his father was out there looking for his son. By the way, this goes against all culture. His son had shamed his family. He had disgraced his dad. He had disgraced even the community. He should have been dead to his father completely. He should have been dead to the community. And as we read later, dead to his brother. But his father is out there. And while he is a long way off, he sees him. Luke 19 10 says 
this. It's the story of Zacchaeus. Jesus says this, For the Son of Man has come to save, to seek and to save that which was lost. He is looking for the sinful man. The man that is full of, his life is full of immoral. Sorry, his life is immoral. His life is living in, in, in the gutter. He's the one selling himself. He's the one that is, that is such a shame. The, he's not just a black sheep of the family, he's the black flock. That's how bad he is. Yet Jesus says the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. How amazing is our Jesus, our God. And he says in verse 20, he ran. So he had compassion, sorry. He had compassion. Well, that shouldn't have happened. Shouldn't have had compassion on him. His son was a little brat. Shouldn't have left him. And he ran. You know what? In, in that culture, it was not right for a no, man of nobility to run. It would have been a shameful thing. But he didn't care. And not only would that have been, a, it would have been bad, but he would have had to pull up his gown and run. That would have been disgusting because therefore he was showing his legs even more of a shame. Have you seen how the, how the, the shame has now turned now onto the father? The son is the shame, but now the, the father is the shame. He's running to his son. The crowds would have been in awe. What is happening? Why is this man running? Why is he showing his legs? Yes, there probably would have been disgraced to see the son. But now the shame has turned to the father. But he ran and he fell on his neck and kissed him. This boy has been walking for weeks. He has lived with pigs. He was tempted to eat with pigs. This boy is filthy. This boy stinks and yet he falls on his neck and he kisses him. When we come to Christ, we don't come clean. We come to him filthy and when we do, he falls upon us and he kisses us in our disgusting muck. This is how God... But In that verse, Matthew Henry, the commentator, says this, His father saw him. Here we have eyes of mercy. He had compassion. Here we have bowels of mercy. And ran. Here we have feet of mercy. He fell on his neck. Here we have arms of mercy and kissed him. And here we have lips of mercy. It was mercy from first to last. Mercy, 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 mercy. He loved his son so much he didn't care how stupid he looked. He didn't care what the crowds thought. He had mercy on his boy. The father's son comes up with a, 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 an, an argument. I, I, I didn't write it down. He basically says, Father, I don't deserve to be called your son. Make me one of your hired men. But the father completely ignores him. He doesn't even respond to him. His father says this, Bring forth the best robe. And put it on him. Bring him the best robe. 
Get these rags off him. Get this filth off him. And put on this beautiful clean robe. This robe would have been the, the robe of honour, probably saved for one of the boys for when they got married. It would have been a glamorous robe, a beautiful robe. And when we come to God, it says this in Isaiah 61, I will greatly, greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with garments of salvation. He hath covered me with robes of righteousness, as a bridegroom decketh herself with ornaments, and as a bride ordaineth, order, ordaineth herself with her jewels. He cleanses, he puts on a brand spanking new robe, but he doesn't finish there. He's, the father continues, says, put a ring on his finger. The ring was to signify that this boy was no longer a stranger. He's not a stranger. He is his boy. He is his son. And it was a family ring. I'm putting this on you because you are my boy. Family boy. You're back with me. And shoes on his feet. Shoes. Those hired men in the field, they didn't wear shoes. The servants walking in, working in the house, they didn't wear shoes. But no son of mine's walking with nothing on his feet. No boy of mine is walking around like that, like a servant. He is no, he's not a servant. He is my boy. And then he says to the servant, bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. The fatted calf. The fatted calf. Why was it a fatted calf? Because it was it was fatted up so that one day they would have a celebration. Maybe it would be for when the boys get married. It will be saved for a special occasion and they couldn't get a better occasion than this day. This was the best of days. This was a wonderful day. He says these words, For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. He was dead. Who can make the dead come to life. Jesus. Only Jesus could do this. Who can only find those that are lost? Jesus. And in the end of Romans 6.23, it says, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The father was so overjoyed with the return of his son, that celebrations began. Celebrations began. And just the same. When the shepherd found his sheep, they, he put it on his shoulder and he went home and he was rejoiced. He got his friends together. Look, my, my, my lost sheep is found. Let us celebrate together. John, in verse 7 of that chapter, it says this. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. 
the righteous ones, the Pharisees, the tax, sorry, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they thought that they were righteous. They thought that they were better than everybody else. And if that's the case, then they didn't need God. They don't need to repent. Why do you think he's responding here? But actually what Jesus is saying, including these people, they too need to be saved. How offensive is that to them? And when we come to him, he cleanses us. What John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isaiah 1.18 Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Psalm 103.12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgression from us. When we come, our sin is gone. When we confess, our sin is completely gone. For the immoral, for those that realise that they are wretched like this boy did. But this is where most people want to stop the story. This is where most people just go, that's the wonderful story, the son's come home. But Jesus has told this parable, I told this parable about two sons, two boys. And the eldest son was in the field in verses 25 to 27. The eldest son was in the field and he came and drew nigh to the house. He heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come and thy father hath killed the fatted calf because he hath received him safe and sound. Up until this point we haven't heard much about this older boy. He's only got mentioned earlier in the parable, but nowhere else up to this point. Where's he been all this time? Well, I can tell you where he's been. He's been a good little boy. He's been doing what dad has told him. But he's probably gone even above and beyond, because when dad said, can you go in the field and plough that field, he probably ploughed the next field. When he said, can you be in at eight, he was in at six. He said, clean your room. He cleaned, he did the whole house. How do we know? Because that's what the Pharisees did. He was a good little boy. He was well behaved. But one thing he was not happy with was that wretch of a brother of his who had run off with the money and couldn't even bother to phone home or send a postcard. Moaning and groaning, complaining about that wretch of a younger brother. He's here outside. Look what he says. He was out in the field. He wasn't even looking for his brother. He didn't care about his brother. Why? Because he was safe and sound, he thought. He was safe and sound. But when he hears this message that his brother has come, We want to read that he was happy, but it doesn't say that. In verse 28 he says, but he was angry and would not go in. Do you know, those that are morally sound hate those that are immoral, but get saved. 
They hate the immoral being saved. How dare God save the immoral? How dare he save the paedophile? How dare he save the murderer and the rapist? Who does he think he is? They hate it. But you know, God loves both of his boys. And remember that other story. The story of the lost coin. The story of the lost coin. Do you know the thing about the coins? If you lose a coin, you know it's lost, but the coin doesn't know. You can chuck the coin into the corner, you could lose it, it can be gone for hours, days, weeks, months, you may never find it. That coin will never know it's lost. Why? Because it's a coin. And this boy, he didn't know he was lost too. He thought he was fine. He thought he knew dad. He thought he was okay because I'm at home working for dad. I'm at home doing all these things for dad. But he was lost just as much as his brother. But the only difference is he didn't realise he was lost. And actually, this boy is in a more dangerous place than the the younger son. Because at least the younger son realised He has absolutely no idea. And the religious leaders, they thought, oh, I can quote scripture at the back of my hand. I know it better than any of you. I can pray. I can fast. I can do all of these wonderful things. And yet they had absolutely no knowledge of who God was. Completely and utterly lost. But you know that in the story of the lost coin, it says in verse 8 that the woman, she goes, she, she, when she, the coin is lost, she says she sweeps the house and she seeks diligently until she finds it. She still, she was looking for the coin carefully. And what does it say in verse 28? The father came, so therefore came his father out and entreated him. He came out, son, what's the matter? Why don't you come in? Coming in, at a party, celebration. Now the story of the woman finding a coin still finishes with her finding it. But things don't seem to go so well. Because in verse 28, and tw- sorry, 29 and 30, sorry, the son says, Lo, these many years I do I serve thee, neither transgressed, and at any time thy commandment, and yet thou, thou never gavest me as kid, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as the, thy son was come, which thou hast devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed him, killed for him the fatted calf. Notice, I've neither transgressed. I've kept your commandments. And he says, I serve thee. The word serve can be translated, the Greek word is dulio. It can be translated to the word slave. I have slaved for thee. He has, 
His work was not done in love. His work wasn't done in love. His work thinks I'm going to get a better reward at the end of this. I'm going to get a better reward. I've kept your commandments. As if his father had forced him to do this. And he also says, as soon as this thy son has come, as your son, when he comes, not my brother, but your son. Ladies, how many times have you said that to your husband? Your kids, look at them misbehaving. It's never your children when the kids misbehave. It's always, when the kids behave, it's always the husband's fault. I know that because my wife does that with our daughter. You know, when she's mucking up, when she's playing up, your daughter's playing up. I'm going to be, I'm going to be, it's our daughter. But here, he's saying when your son comes home, not my brother, my son. Do you know, he was completely, his brother was completely dead to him. Completely dead to him. He had absolutely no interest in joining any stinking party for the, for his brother. But the father says to him in verse 31, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. All that I have is thine. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law would have realised that the splendour of God wasn't ruling, rule-keeping and being self-righteous, but in just loving God and being in his presence. They could have been accepted too. Psalm 51, 16-17 says, For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, thou wilt not despise. King David understood it, understood it, understood it. He got it. He understood that it wasn't about sacrifices and all of the outward appearance. It was about a broken heart. You know, the, and in, and in verse 32, he continues by saying, It was meet that we should make merry and be glad for this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. The father gives absolutely no apology for forgiving and, and receiving his son back. No apology whatsoever. He doesn't say, oh, I'm sorry you feel this way, boy, son. He doesn't give any apology. Not in this day and age. You think of this day and age, everything's, you know, we, that's a bit offensive, isn't it? No, he doesn't, he doesn't apologise. Why should he? It was his boy. But you know what? At this point, again, we want to believe that the, the, because the story is over here. Oh, sorry, there's the last part. He also says, likewise I say unto you, there is joy in the... Oh, no, I'm not. I, I apologise. I had finished. We want to believe that the story is over here. We want to believe that this is it. And well, we know the story is over, but we want to think, hang on, if we could add a little bit more. The son went into the house, hugged his brother, kissed him, and, and, and celebrated with him. It is a possibility. That's why Jesus leaves it. 
And you know, if he had done that, that party would have been for him too. Because that means both of them would have been found. But unfortunately, it's most likely that's not what happened. In fact, what most likely happened is the, the oldest son turned to his father and looked him in the face and said, you have brought disgrace upon this family. You have brought disgrace upon me. And before anything else could imagine, he grabbed hold of his son and father, sorry, dragged him and chucked him against a, a tree took out a hammer and nails and nailed his father to a tree, weeping and saying, I hate you for bringing dishonour upon me. Not a nice, sweet Sunday school story when you think of it that way, is it? But that's exactly what happened not long after this to Jesus. That is exactly what the Pharisees and the teachers of the law did to Jesus because he brought shame and disgrace upon them. And actually, it's because he preached the truth and they hated him for it because they were preaching their heresies making up the law as they went along. But you know, both sons were lost. Both boys lived with dad at the beginning, but didn't know dad. The younger son thought he could still earn his way back to dad, but actually the dad loved him regardless. The older son was working continuously, and he still didn't know his father. The younger boy, of course we know, is found. But you know what, sometimes I think is, maybe we we are saved, all of us. But the danger is, is that we can still be a little bit like that older brother. We can still be arrogant and thinking, oh well, we're okay because we're saved. Not like those sinners out there. I'm not saying you're like that, but if anybody is, then my challenge to you is you need to repent. You know, it is only, we're only saved because of grace. We're only saved because of what Christ has done for us upon that cross. None of us are worthy of it. Not one of us in this room, not one of us in the church across the globe is worthy of his love. Worthy of forgiveness, worthy of eternity with him. But it is by his grace that he gives these unto us. Not of our doing. And therefore, we don't deserve them. But we can get down on our knees and we can say, thank you Jesus. And so we're not better than the wretched sinner out there. We're just saved by grace. And we can thank God, Lord, thank you for saving me. I'm wretched as I am. But as I said, if we have issues, then we need to come back to the cross and say, Lord, forgive me. Turn away from that. But if you have never received Christ Jesus into your heart, 
from the youngest person here to the oldest person here, if you've never received Jesus, then it is still, there is still time. Christ Jesus came for the lost. Came for the lost, whether you are full of morals or you've got no morals. He came for the lost. The question is, what are you going to do about it? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for us. Lord, help everyone in this place, in this church now, tonight, Lord God, come to faith in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, if they haven't already. That God, when they leave this place, their lives are changed forever. Lord, whoever they are, God, speak into their hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.